This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and friendly low welcome to Lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, now part of Bucket Sports. Bucket Sports doing an absolutely incredible job giving you everything that you've ever wanted from an app that allows you to track all of your action, but more importantly than that, you're able to engage with other bettors in a fun, friendly environment, being able to keep track of all of your bets. You're able to take a look at all the scores for the day, all the lines, and so much more. You're able to follow them on Twitter, at BookitHQ. And a man that's going to be joining me in the second segment is at Covers underscore Kaylee. Andrew Kaylee does an absolutely terrific job covering a little bit of everything for them. He does some football. He certainly is going to be involved with golf as well, but this is his time of year for baseball. So in the second segment, we're going to be asking him a little bit about the games that we're going to be seeing on Thursday. He is also out there in Toronto, so all the Blue Jays are going to be trying to adjust to Dundon, Florida. So we're going to be having some nice handicapping there. And then in the final segment... Going to be giving you guys a sign total on every game on the Thursday MLB betting board as we touch them all. First things first, always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. If there is something that you'd like answered, you've got one of two ways to be able to fire those in. My Twitter timeline, at JarenScorty1. Keep in mind, those letters DM, they mean does not matter. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it very much is appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. The only questions that I got in today are why Kenley Jansen is a poopy reliever, and to that I say, ask Kenley Jansen, but it is something that is taken into account with regards to my handicapping, so I have no fear. I do recognize that Kenley Jansen, the odds of him being able to get a 1-2-3 inning are probably the odds that Taylor Swift is going to be a podcast guest sometime in the next week, so... There is that, but let's take a look back at everything that we saw from Major League Baseball yesterday. Tried to find some trends to try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. The Braves and Nationals wound up playing a double dip, and it did not go the way of the Washington Nationals. As in the first one, Max Fried, along with Eric Fetty Wap, 
They both wound up getting taken out of this game very early, but the Braves were able to get the job done 7-6, by the way. 790 doubleheaders suck, so there's that, but take a look at the Atlanta Braves in this one. They go 3-14 with runners in scoring position, but they were able to chase Mr. Fetty Wap very early in this one. Fetty gives up six runs, five of which were earned while recording five outs. Rest of the team actually did a solid job until Wander, I swear this guy sucks, winds up giving up a run out of the bullpen in the seventh inning for the Washington Nationals. They were able to get a home run out of Trey Turner down for what they came off of Max Freed, his second of the campaign, and for Freed, he was not long for this game either. He gives up five runs over the course of two innings, but then Josh Homlin gives you two innings. You're able to get a good inning out of A.J. Minter. Nate Jones holds down the fourth, and Will Smith, he made things get a little bit jiggy with it. He gave up a run, but the Atlanta Braves were able to hold it down and get the win in game one. And then in game two, it was the Braves who were able to come in late to be able to get the 2-0 to zero win. Pablo Sandoval hit the home run to be able to give the Atlanta Braves a win. This is not a podcast from 2013, by the way, as Pablo Sandoval now has four RBI and two home runs this season. That came off of Tanner Rainey and for Atlanta, you know what? Uscar, you know what? You know what? He was awesome. Five scoreless innings in this one. Gave up just one walk, five punch outs. Luke Jackson, Sean Newcomb, they give you flawless innings with Newcomb being able to strike out the side. And then for the Washington Nationals, it was Steven Strasburg who got the start in this one. He had just two starts last year, and he looked terrific in this one. You can't pin this one on Strasburg. Six innings pitch, he gave up one hit, two walks, punched out eight. He deserved a significantly better fate than what he wound up getting, but that's the way it goes for Washington Nationals pitchers. The way it's going for the Cubs right now is that they're just not generating offense. The Milwaukee Brewers put up a three spot in the 10th inning, and they get the win by a count of 42. In this one, Brandon Woodruff was terrific for the Brewers. He was pulled after 74 pitches, seven innings. He gave up one hit. I have no idea why he got pulled <laughs> that early, but that's what happened. And then Devin Williams winds up giving up a run out of the bullpen. Josh Hader, he's able to hold it down. And then J.P. Frierson and Brad Boxberger get the win in the save. The fact that Brad Boxberger got the save for the Brewers in a game with Josh Hader and Devin Williams pitching, I think is one of the most hilarious things I've ever seen. But for the Cubs, being able to go deep off of Williams, that would be Jock Peterson, his first of the campaign. And for Kyle Hendricks, this looked like the old professor after he wound up having a little bit rough start in his first outing, six scoreless settings, and then from there, you have Alec Mills give up a run, and Brandon Workman, boy, he did some work on being able to get the Cubs a loss in this one. Gave up three runs, two of which were earned in his 10th inning of work, so that was not necessarily too terrific. What is terrific, though, how about the Cincinnati Reds offense? They have now scored five-plus runs in every one of their six games so far this season. This team is on a run, having won five straight games, 11-4 to the final. For Pittsburgh, Chad Cool. Well, he's been cooled down. He winds up giving up five runs, four of which were earned over the course of four innings. Walk five. That's not great. Chris Randon, he gives up three runs in two innings. That's not great. Michael Felice gave up a run in an inning. That's not great. And then you had David Benar, who winds up giving up two runs in an inning as well. For the Pittsburgh Pirates, you were able to get a little bit of a sign of life in this one as Mr. Eric Gonzalez winds up getting his first home run of the campaign. That came off of Amir Garrett very late in. For Amir Garrett, he really looked down the reds as they wound up having eight scoreless innings out of the combination of Luis Castillo along Lucas Sims, and then Gary winds up giving up four runs in the ninth, but team was in control from there, and for the Cincinnati Reds, pair of guys with their fourth home run of the campaign, Tyler Naquin along with Nick Cassianos. Cassianos is appealing that suspension, so he's still out there, and then Aristides Aquino winds up getting his first home run of the campaign, and then at the catcher spot, you wind up getting Tyler Stevenson to be able to go yard for his first home run of the season. For the Cleveland Indians, they were able to get a a little bit of offense in this one in support of Shane Bieber Fever. 4-2 the final. They're able to get the W. Jacob Junis, he looks solid in this one for the start for the Royals. Five scoreless settings. Gave up just one hit. And then Jesse Hahn, well, you messed with the Hahn. He winds up giving up two runs in an inning. And then Greg Holland takes the L as he winds up giving up a home run to Mr. Jose Ramirez. For Ramirez. He winds up hitting two in this one. One off of Hahn. One off of Holland. His first attack of the campaign for Mr. Bieber Fever. He winds up giving up two runs in six and a third inning. Punch out 12. He was able to hit that K-prop. And then Nick Whitgren, a scoreless innings. James Karinchek. Two-thirds of an inning scoreless, and Emilio Clase was able to give you a scoreless inning as well. So the Indians were able to find a little bit of something. 
This is one of the bigger turnarounds that we've seen so far in this young season. The Red Sox, who wound up getting swept by the poopy Baltimore Orioles, now wind up sweeping the Tampa Bay Rays. 9-2 the final. If you're wondering why baseball makes no sense, it's because of stuff like this. Ryan Yarbrough, who was terrific on the road last season, by the way. Five innings pitch, he gives up nine runs, six of which were earned, including a homer. I will say, Colin McHugh, three scoreless innings. That was a little bit of a sign of life for the Tampa Bay Rays, but for the Rays... I mean, man, they wound up allowing it to Christian Vasquez, who winds up getting a home run off of Yarbrough, his second of the campaign for the Red Sox. 5-9 with runners in scoring position, and Nathan Eovaldi looked terrific. Seven innings, giving up one run. And then Josh Taylor gives up one run in two innings, which, for a bullpen appearance like that for the Boston Red Sox, it's as if they found money. From the Minnesota Twins, they were able to find themselves in the winner's circle against the Detroit Tigers. 3-2, the final for the Twins. No long balls in this one, and there was some suspect defense from the team, but Kenta Maeda was still Solid six inning switch. He gives up two runs to give up a homer. Going deep for the Detroit Tigers in this one. How about their new catcher in Wilson Ramos, his second home run the campaign, and the white-hot Akil Badu winds up being able to get the team a hit and an RBI once again. That's terrific, and what is not terrific, Matthew Boyd, and now he's been able to pitch. Wasn't too terrible in this one. Gives up three runs over the course of seven innings. He up the ball in the yard, but has been really rough the last couple years, to say the least. Osei Serno, two scoreless innings for the Minnesota Twins. Bullpen was able to get it done. Anselmo Robles was able to give you a scoreless inning, and Alex Colomay, two innings, Punches out three, gives up just one hit, so the Minnesota Twins able to get it done. The Texas Rangers have been able to get W's based on their offense, but on this one, it was actually the pitching that came through. 2-1 the final. Unjin Rue, a little bit of a tough luck loser. Seven innings pitch, he gives up two runs. Did allow one ball to be able to go over the fence. Nick Solak was able to get his first home run the campaign for the Rangers. One of nine with Ben in scoring position, but Kyle Gibson, he just see that home run because he goes six innings, gives up six hits. He punches out eight, though, and doesn't give up a single run. Matt Bush gave up around the bullpen, but Josh Shorbridge out of the bullpen, along with Ian Kennedy, were both able give you a scoreless setting for the Toronto Blue Jays. Just nothing doing, really, for the C. Marcus Simeon got his third home run the campaign. By the way, I think it took him like 20-some-odd games to get to three home runs last season, but they went 0-4 with running in scoring position. Amon left on base. Rafael Dolis was able to come out of the bullpen. He was able to do a little bit of something, but a little bit of a tough day there. It was a tough day if you were a Marlins better as well. 7-0, the St. Louis Cardinals take it to Miami. Captain Jack Flaherty with a terrific start. Six innings pitch. Did walk four, but did not give up any runs. Jen Genesis Cobrera, two scoreless settings, and then Jordan Nix able to close things down in the ninth. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, Zillan Carlson, young prospect, was able to get his third home run the campaign, and Yadier Molina was able to get his first. For Carlson, he goes deep off of Zach Pop, so he was get thing he was able to get things popping, and then one. Pablo Lopez, six and two-thirds innings. He gives up two runs, including that homer, but I mean, he was able to do a solid job. Dylan Flora gives up nothing out of the bullpen. Adam Simmer gave up a run as well, but for the Miami Marlins, seven men left on base, 0-5 with runners in scoring position, so they weren't able to get anything generated. For the LA Dodgers, I was talking about it a little bit earlier. You probably aren't a fan of Kenley Jansen right now. 4-3, to three, the Oakland A's, ding-dong, the witch is dead. They wind up getting a win, and Trevor Bauer, he was solid in this one in his start for the Dodgers. Gives up two runs over the course of six and two-thirds innings, Punching out 10. He did allow a home run, though. Going deep for the Oakland A's. That would be Mr. Matt Chapman, his first of the campaign. And for the Oakland A's, Asus Lazardo, a solid start. Gives up five hits and four walks, which is two runs in the process. Submergio Romo gave up a run in the bullpen, but Jake Diekman, Lou Trevino, along with Yasmero Petit, were all able to give you scoreless innings and Adam Kolarik. Two outs out of the bullpen as well, but for the Dodgers, it was Kenley Jansen in the ninth who winds up giving up a run, and then from there, Jimmy Nelson gives up the ghost runner that starts on second and extra innings, which is still stupid, and for the Dodgers, this was also bad luck. Two of 21 with runners in scoring position with 14 men left on base. They had their opportunities, they just couldn't cash in. If you wind up taking the Dodgers in this one, I'd light a candle for you because, well... They had their chances. The Philadelphia Phillies, they took advantage of their chances. They take down the Mets by a count of 8-2. to They were up 4-0 to after the first inning as David Peterson. Not necessarily living up to the last name of Peterson. Six runs given up in four innings, including two bombs. Going deep for the Philadelphia Phillies, that would be Reese Hoskins, his first of the campaign, and Alec Baum gets his first. JT Riumito was able to get a home run. That came in the fifth inning as coming in for the... Metropolitans out of the bullpen to give that one up was Jacob Barnes. Dylan Batances gives up a run out of the bullpen as well. And then Joey Lucchese, two scoreless settings, used to be with the Padres. And for the Mets, they were unable to cash in on opportunities. One of 12 with runners in scoring position. They strained 14 men on base as Aaron Supernola. Boy, was he lucky to only give up one run. He gives up six hits, two walks over the course of four innings. 
And then you wind up from there having Archie Bradley give up a run, Connor Brogdon. He was able to evade some danger, gives up two hits, a walk, and no earned runs. And then from there, the Mets were unable to do anything whatsoever. So that was highly entertaining. It was highly entertaining to watch the San Francisco Giants get a 3-2 win over the San Diego Padres as well. For Kevin Gosman, another great start. Seven innings pitch, only five punch outs, but he gives up just one run in the process. And then the man that gives the win is Tyler Rogers, who wound up giving up a run along the way. But you had from there Jacob McGee. He was able to do a solid job as he winds up giving the team a scoreless setting. And then Wandy Peralta is able to close things out as it looks like it was McGee who got the win, although ESPN was saying that Rodgers wound up getting it. That's clearly wrong because he gave up the run, but what was also rough for the Padres, Darren Ruff gets his second home run the campaign, and for the Padres, it was a solid start from Blake Snell. He gives up two runs over the course of five innings. Nothing great, nothing terrible. And for the Padres, Will Myers gets his second home run of the campaign, and then from there, the bullpen was solid. The only run that they gave up was the ghost runner that starts on second from Tim L. Mark Melanson, Drew Pomerantz, along with Taylor Williams and Ryan Weathers were all able to give you scoreless innings, but just a situation in which the San Diego Padres were unable to get anything generated with their offense. Another team that was able to get a whole lot generated, so they were the opposite. That beat the Seattle Mariners as they wind up taking down the Chicago White Sox. And for the Seattle Mariners, they were able to get quite a bit going with runners in scoring position going 5-11 in that one. Justin Dunn, he didn't necessarily get her done as four and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs and only one hit, but he walked eight. How do you give up eight walks while allowing one hit? I will never understand, but then from there, Will Vest comes in out of the bullpen. He winds up giving up a one run in one and a third inning. Kendall Graveman, Anthony Mashevich, along with Rafael Montero, are able to close the door from there. And for the Chicago White Sox, it was not necessarily the start that they were looking for out of Dallas. Keuchel gives up three runs over the course of five innings, and then Matt Foster gives up five runs while recording two outs. So Liam Hendricks, Aaron Bummer doing a solid job from there. It just wasn't able to put deodorant on the fact that Matt Foster will... He certainly cost the team, so that was not necessarily too terrific. You know what else was not necessarily too terrific? The entire offense of the Arizona Diamondbacks. It's really hard to get blanked out there at Coors Field, but they wound up doing so. 8-0 to zero the final in this one. For the Colorado Rockies, they were able to jump on Madison Bumgarner early enough, and five runs give it up in five innings for him. From there, you wind up having... Caleb Smith, who I think was supposed to start in a few days, he actually looked very good out of the bullpen. Five punch-outs and no hits given up in two innings. And then from there, you wind up having three runs given up out of Anthony Swarzak, who began his career with the Philadelphia Phillies for the Diamondbacks, 0-7 with men in scoring position, and for the Rockies, Antonio Senzatella, who had a home ERA that was hovering right around three last season. Eight strong innings of scoreless baseball. And then from there in the ninth, Jordan Sheffield. He was able to close things out. So that was a tremendous result for the Colorado Rockies. And speaking of tremendous results, that's exactly what you got from the Baltimore Orioles as well. They wind up taking down the New York Yankees by a count of 4-3. For Baltimore, John Means didn't necessarily give you the start that you were looking for. Gave up just one run in four and two-thirds innings, but allowed seven hits, two walks as the Yankees. They just couldn't drive them in in this one. They wind up stranding 12 men on base. For Jamison Tyon, his first start since the 2019 season. Season. Not great, not terrible. He did give up two home runs. That was a bugaboo, but they were both solo home runs going deep for the Baltimore Orioles. Cedric Mullins, his first of the campaign, and Anthony Santander, his first. I think the Orioles had just one home run entering into the game yesterday, so that was certainly of significance. And then from there, Darren O'Day, Nick Nelson, Jonathan Luizga, Araldis Chapman, they were all able to hold down the fort and it was Chad Green who wound up giving up the final two runs of the game, but those were due to a Glaber Torres error. They weren't necessarily on him. And for the Baltimore Orioles, their bullpen looked very solid in this one as well. Dylan Tate, Tanner Scott, and Cesar Valdez were all able to do a solid job. Valdez in two and a third innings. He'd give up a run, but it was an unearned run. He was hurt out there by an error in the field. You did wind up having Paul Fry being able to close out this game. And Sean Armstrong did wind up giving up a run to the New York Yankees. But to hold the Yankees down to three runs in an extra inning game, you've got to be liking that as for the New York Yankees. The struggles of Aaron Nix and the fact that he's hitting a 100 certainly on full display. And what else is on full display? The tremendous knowledge that Andrew Kaley of Covers has. Coming up next, we're going to be talking to him about the fact that the Toronto Blue Jays are now going to become the Dundon Blue Jays. The dimensions of that ballpark as they play their first home game today. We're also going to be talking about just how he's been gauging the season in general, how much you can take from these 60 games last year and convert it to this year, and so much more. That's on the other side right here on the Baseball Bang Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Book of Sports. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. 
And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast by Jump Drake Peterson, now powered by Bucket Sports. Bucket Sports doing an amazing job giving you everything that you've ever wanted with an app that allows you to be able to track all of your action. But more importantly than that, you're able to do a nice job of taking a look at all the live scores for the day, taking a look at all the lines, and you're able to engage with other betters in a fun, friendly environment, posting up photos and videos along the way. And a man that does absolutely terrific work with Covers.com, that'd be Andrew Cayley. He does a great job of being able to handicap the MLB at this time of year, but he does a little bit of everything. If I saw his Twitter feed correctly, he is still out there looking at some of those Asian baseball leagues like the KBO. Man does a little bit of everything. I know that he is a big fan of all things Toronto sports as well, so he does absolutely terrific work, and you're able to follow him on Twitter at easy enough covers underscore Kaylee, and that last name is spelled C-A-L-E-Y. Andrew, great to have you aboard. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me back, Greg. After all the fun we had with the KBO last year, I couldn't let opening day go by without mentioning a few games, and I'll probably look at a few lines every now and then as the season rolls along. I'm a little sad that ESPN isn't broadcasting their game of the day anymore. It was always fun to wake up in the morning and sweat right away. (laughs) I'll make do with a full 162 game MLB season this year. I am right there with you. Unfortunately, I won't be watching as much of the smiling blobs, but we are still going to hope that our Blobio friends are going to be winning a championship. That is all that matters, gosh darn it. And then I will get my blobs here and we'll have a blobby party, I guess, (laughs) to say the least. But with that said, we're going to be taking a look at mascots that aren't blobs this season in the MLB. And how do you wind up taking a look at what we wound up seeing in the 60-game season last year and applying that to this year? Because I feel like we've heard a bunch of different opinions on this. There are a lot of people that they do put quite a bit of credence with it. There are other people that they just completely toss it out the window and it means nothing to them. I think that this is very fascinating because we are in a spot in which we've never seen anything quite like it. And I think the big trickle-down effect from that 60-game season last season is that we're noticing a lot of these starters early on not necessarily getting so deep into innings along with pitch counts. So for me, I have been ignoring a lot of it because, as we know, baseball, for betters and for fans alike, it's the game of statistics and analytics. And I enjoy handicapping baseball so much because... We rely on those statistics so much. And over a 60-game stretch, it just allows for a lot of anomalies. For instance, if the 2019 season was only 60 games long, the Nationals wouldn't have made the playoffs just like they did last year, let alone win the World Series. So (laughs) a lot of things you have to be careful with. I found that there is some overreacting, especially when it came to season win totals for some of these lesser teams, like for instance, the Detroit Tigers have gotten off to a pretty good start here this year, but their win total bumped up about three or four, maybe even five wins, depending on the book. And I didn't see which player they had brought in to to account for that. It was quite interesting. If a pitcher had a solid year like Shane Bieber did last year, I'm not too worried about him going forward because he pitched long and he pitched all season long. Another guy like Trevor Bauer, he looked really red in his first start and and I'm not worried about him but yeah some of these lesser guys have clearly not been going long in in games and I think another thing that happened was that guys who like their routine some of the older guys might be taking a bit of a step back I don't know you had the kind of hurried spring camp and then a season and then a full camp again this year and it totally messes with the routine starters are creatures of habit they don't like their routines being messed up and nothing messed it up more than that 2020 season. Guys like Madison Bumgarner, he got rocked pretty hard and couldn't go very deep into his first start. And uh, just just all sorts of stuff like that. Yep, and it looks like the Arizona Diamondbacks going to be a relatively solid fade this season as Andrew <laughs> Cayley is trying to be right here on the podcast. And when I take a look at some of these bad teams, it is going to be very intriguing to take a look at them. Like on Thursday, you're going to wind up getting the rematch of the Boston Red Sox and the Baltimore Orioles with Matt Harvey going for the Baltimore Orioles after he actually looked halfway decent against the Boston Red Sox. Now, this is a spot in which you've got a guy in Eduardo Rodriguez that we have no idea what to expect because he's going to be making his first start since the 2019 season. I think that these are going to be some of the hardest spots to handicap. I think we can all agree Matt Harvey is probably going to give up 
more than the two runs in four and two-thirds innings that he did wind up giving up the first time these two teams wound up meeting. But trying to gauge these guys that they haven't pitched in over a year and not necessarily due to injury or anything like that, I think is going to be some of the hardest games to handicap all season. That's a great point. When I heard Matt Harvey sign with the Orioles, my first instinct was going to be like, well, <laughs> we're going to be betting a lot of overs with his games, <laughs> maybe even opposing team totals. But yeah, this is a really interesting spot, especially with Rodriguez, who obviously wanted to take the time off because he had that heart condition and didn't want to play with any sort of COVID risks there. And I hope that he's 100% and able to go. Red Sox have been obviously disappointing to this point. Maybe they're the worst team in the American League East this year. I don't know. They don't really have pitching. They don't really have hitting right now. Obviously, it's very early in the season. It'll take a little while to come around. But so as we're talking about with these variances from last season and going into the early part of this season, maybe a casual baseball better should take the first month of April off or not, not off if you if you need to have a little action, but just take your time with your bets and allow this data that we love so much to start coming in and uh, you'll have those stats to, to go off of instead of just going off gut feel, which is a lot of what this is early on in these games. Because for the most part, you're not really going to be sure what you're going to get. No, you're certainly not, as we do have Andrew Kaley of Covers joining me right here on the podcast. You know what you're going to be able to get out of him. Another thing that we don't know where we're going to get, the Toronto, a.k.a. now Dundon Blue Jays, as they're going to be playing their first home game in the state of Florida against the LA Angels. We remember they wound up becoming the Buffalo Blue Jays last season. It's going to be very intriguing to see what you get here. I don't know if you've had a chance to take a look at some of the ballpark dimensions for TD Ballpark out there in Dundon, Florida. Capacity crowd of 5,500, but I'm very intrigued to see how this one winds up playing out as well because this is technically the third straight year in which the Toronto (laughs) Blue Jays have a new home field advantage. And it's just one of those things in which it throws you for a massive loop because we know that with the ballpark dimensions last year, it led to a bunch of high-scoring Toronto Blue Jays games because that place was a bandbox. TD Park in Dunning, I think we're going to get more of the same. The dimensions for left-handed power hitters, you could be seeing balls go <laughs> fly quite a ways out of this ballpark. If I was a pitcher, I wouldn't be happy going into that park. Luckily, the Blue Jays are a very righty-heavy lineup this year with their only major lefty power bat being Rowdy Telez, and he looks a little off to start the season, so <laughs> I don't know how much longer he's going to be finding himself in the lineup on an everyday basis, but the, the one lefty who will be playing this game who could be sending some moonshots out into the park will be Shohei Otani, who got off to a fantastic start. Hopefully he's all okay, and that was just a little bump on his knee or his ankle or whatever he got hit on the other day but it was something special to watch him throw 100 miles an hour and then hit 450 foot dingers all in the same game (laughs) i don't put a lot of money into futures bets but if you want to get someone besides mike trout maybe his teammate is worth a look for mvp that is and did you wind up placing anything when it came to season wins as well? Or are there any teams out there that maybe you're a little bit more bullish on or bearish on than others? Because I think that this is going to be a intriguing year. A team that I was actually high on, the Kansas City Royals, they've gotten off to a nice start. Going to be Brad Keller against Lance Lynn, going at a guy with a 40.5 ERA, going up against <laughs> a guy with not a single earned run allowed. That's always fun to be able to take a look at those to begin the season. But is there any sort of team that you're maybe a little bit more bullish on slash bearish on this season than maybe others are? The number that stuck out to me the most this season, and I saw it, Washington Nationals, I mentioned them a little before. They posted at about 84 and a half or 85, depending on the book. And like I said, I thought they kind of got the short end of the stick when it came to their title defense. One of the most unfortunate title defenses in baseball history they're dealing with a bit of COVID issues themselves now but hopefully they get over that they went out and they brought in guys like Kyle Schwarber and a super underrated signing in a guy like Josh Bell I think he's going to be really important in that lineup this year and most importantly it gives Juan Soto some protection Scherzer looked a little iffy in his first start which did carry over from 2020 so hopefully that's just a little blip I'd hate to see if this is the begin of the decline for Mad Max but I really liked that number of 84 and a half. If Strasburg is back and Corbin can get back on track, that's a strong rotation. They brought Brad Hand in to uh, secure up the bullpen. I really think they can make some noise. In all fairness, in what should be a very competitive National League East, I'm not going to go and put too many National League East futures out there because uh, the division is going to be tough from top to bottom. But I really like Nationals and their win total. And I think that gauging the Nationals is going to be a little bit different in about a week or so because we know that there's quite a few guys that are out due to COVID protocols. You didn't have John Lester available for that double dip because 
he's out with COVID-19. You figure that Patrick Corbin was going to be one of the starters as well. He wound up being out along with Brad Andrew, you mentioned a little bit earlier, Josh Bell as well. And I think that that's just something so important to take note of because I do think that if the Nationals wind up getting off to a little bit of a rough start in this week plus in which these guys are out, that a lot of people are going to sell on them. And then once you get back to Calvary, it's going to provide a lot of value on the Washington Nationals. And just being able to look at that could provide you with a lot of value for your bankroll throughout the season. Oh, for sure. I really agree with you on that one. We do have Andrew Cayley joining me on the podcast. And Andrew, when I take a look at things for Thursday, there is something very intriguing that does stick out to me. It is the fact that Jake Arrieta returns to Chicago. He's going to be going up against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And we've seen that with a couple guys. I know that James Paxson wound up having his stint with the New York Yankees. He winds up coming back for the Seattle Mariners. He wound up getting a start a couple days ago. Arietta looked very much at home in his first start with the Chicago Cubs. I really do look at these guys that they wind up going away from a location. They wind up returning to that team. Typically, when they return to that team, they actually do really good. So that is something that I'm going to be taking a look at with my handicap as well, because it seems like we've got more guys than normal that that's the case for this season. Yeah, it was an interesting year for that. Good on Arietta to come back and pitch well at a really strong performance. Only gave up six hits in six innings, and he gets to go up against that same Pittsburgh team again on Thursday. I'll probably be on the Cubs' run line in that one, just because I think the Pirates might be the worst <laughs> in baseball this year. And it's not just that they're a bad team. For me, it's that that ownership apparently just they don't want to try to win and that's too bad i feel bad for the pittsburgh fans and backers but i really like arietta and the cubbies in that spot i agree with you i do think that it's going to be a long year for the pittsburgh players but i think that not just is going to be a long year for baseball in general it's going to be a profitable year because people like andrew cayley do an absolutely terrific work with places like covers andrew i know you're going to be covering this all throughout you do an absolutely amazing job with this and so much more i know that you've done some college football in the past you were doing kbl last season obviously not so much this season but with that said you do absolutely amazing work so let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just what you're all doing in general you can find me on twitter at covers underscore kaylee that's c-a-l-e-y and getting prepped for the masters right now so i can't wait for that and uh, we're gonna be uh, have a fun golf summer it's gonna be golf and baseball all summer so i'm really looking forward to that after uh, quite a busy uh, winter and march madness oh it has been just an absolutely great run of sports in general after we were robbed of so many of them last year at this time having them all back is absolutely tremendous andrew is covering so many of them and does so also well for coverage so big thanks andrew Cayley for joining me right here on the baseball betting podcast south harvard book and sports are coming up next it is that john's podcast they give you a sign total on every game on the thursday mlb betting board as we touch them all Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in Mobile, Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, now part of Bucket Sports, Bucket Sports, doing an amazing job giving you an app that gives you everything that you could ever want for being able to track your live action. And on top of that, they teamed up with so many great podcasts to be able to give you tremendous information. Obviously, you've got this one, the Baseball Betting Podcast, myself, Greg Peterson. Even though the college basketball season is in the offseason, I'm keeping that going every single day, hooping with hoops, taking a look at all the transfers, all the coaching moves, and then when we get back to games in November, we're going to absolutely crush it. You've got Prop Tales with Olivia Moody. That's where she makes up alcoholic beverages along with player props, so that's a lot of fun. And then you've also got the Parlay Cast with Jeff Parles along passing the spread. They both do an absolutely terrific job covering a little bit of everything sports. And then you've got betting the high line with Tom Viola. That is all based around soccer betting. So they're doing absolutely terrific work, and Andrew Cayley does terrific work with covers. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1 as per usual. 
we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is the order that we go in with regards to National League first, then American League, then any intra-league and added games. Today it's only National League and American League, so it keeps things all nice and simple there. And with that said, we do currently have one game off the board as of right now. We are not seeing anyone as a listed starter for the Miami Marlins game, which is ironically the first game on the board. So there is that as we do begin with 9-1-9-2 on the betting board with the New York Metropolitans playing out to the Miami Marlins. To be determined for the Miami Marlins. Meanwhile, Taiwan Walker is going to be going for the Mets. And by going through process of elimination here, which is always a whole lot of fun when it comes to trying to figure these out, you might see something where, like, John Curtis with two S's at the end of Curtis gives you a couple innings, and then you put in there guys like Richard Blyer, Paul Campbell, even a guy like Yimi Garcia to be able to eat up an inning or two. Ross Setweiler has spent some time as a starter. So, I mean, with regards to prices, it's to be determined, but I can tell you right now, I'm probably going to be making the Mets at minimum like a minus 175-ish favorite. That's where I'm sort of leaning right now. It'll probably be even a little bit higher if you wind up getting Ross Setweiler. Taiwan Walker was actually very solid last season. He split time between the Seattle Mariners, and he was also traded to the Toronto Blue Jays. 11 total starts. He did give up 8 home runs in 53 and a third innings. We keep in mind that the ballpark that he was playing in with the Blue Jays was a little bit of a bandbox, 50 punch outs, and he was able to have a solid end of the season as with regards to earned runs given up to or fewer in his final 5 starts. Now, he wound up having just that complete calamity of a start in which he gave up 7 runs to the Yankees, but only one of which was earned because the defense around him was just complete and utter mush, but you take a look at this Mets team. You've got a bunch of guys that are doing a great job of being able to hit. Out there in the outfield, you've got Michael Conforto, who's been able to do a very solid job. Pete Alonso is giving you some pop. He's been able to do a solid job of being able to reach base as well. You've got Francisco Lindor. It's a little bit cold, but James McCann, who they wind up picking up, he's been able to do a solid job along Jeff McNeil and Jonathan VR in the infield, and Brandon Nimmo has been able to be very solid as well. Now, you take a look at the bats. If you do have one fear with this team, it is the bullpen. Aaron Loop has not necessarily been too terrific along Trevor May. Julie Lucchese gave them some solid innings yesterday, but I mean, you got Jersich, Familia, Edwin Diaz, and Miguel Castro. Untrustworthy, untrustworthy, and untrustworthy. And then for the Miami Marlins, this is a bullpen that's absolutely terrible. And we saw the Marlins yesterday be able to put up zero runs. They have to travel in this spot now as well. And you've got quite a few guys that are doing a solid job of being a reach base. Jesus Aguiar, Starling Marte, they both have been able to do a nice job. Along Chad Wallach, all hitting a 333 or higher. Garrett Cooper has been off to a rough start with regards to batting average, but he's been able to reach base. You've got Jace Chislam, who just hasn't necessarily been able to get it going along John Birdie, but you've got a couple guys that are able to give you a little bit of something to keep in mind. Miami is playing in a very pitcher-friendly ballpark. Meanwhile, out there in New York, things should be a little bit more open for them, but as I'm taking a look at it right now, I'm going to be setting the Mets as a sizable favorite. I would think that I'll probably be setting a total probably in the 9-ish range, personally. We need to see who the Marlins are going to be trotting out there. If they wind up calling up someone from the minor leagues, that could throw a little bit of a monkey wrench into things. So, unfortunately, I'm not able to give you anything set right now just because we have no idea who's going to be going for the Marlins. So, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GRSCordy1 along with on the spreadsheet, but that's where I'm looking as of now. 903-904 on the betting board. You've got the Chicago Cubs taking on the Pittsburgh Pirates. Tyler Anderson is going to be going for the Buccos. Meanwhile, Jake Arrieta is on the bump for the Cubs. The Cubs are finding themselves as favorites anywhere between minus 137 and minus 150. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates, that's anywhere between plus 133 and plus 125. Your total on this game range between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 8.5, the over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between even and minus 110. Meanwhile, on the 9, the under is minus 120 and the over is even. With Jake Arrieta, he looked very very good in his first start with the Chicago Cubs. Very encouraging to see against his very same Pittsburgh Pirates team. He gives up one run over the course of six innings, so that was good. He only wound up walking one, which was a little bit of an issue last couple years. Meanwhile, you take a look at Anderson. He, in his first start, wasn't terrible, wasn't great. He winds up giving up three runs over the course of five innings, but you take a look at what he's been able to do for his career. It's not necessarily been great, though. Last season, while he's with the San Francisco Giants, things didn't necessarily go too bad for him. He 
went 4-3, 437 ERA, never been a high strikeout guy. 41 punch-outs in 59 and two-thirds innings. He gets the luxury of taking on a Cubs team that, well, they're not getting a lot going on offense right now. You've got all these guys who are hitting below a 200 or at a 200. Wilson Contreras, David Bodie, Eric Sogard, Jake Marizic, Matt Duffy, Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Jack Peterson, Jason Award, Ian Happ. That is not good, ladies and gentlemen. As a matter of fact, they don't have a single guy that has taken it at bat this year that's hitting above a 200. That is absolutely terrible. I will say this, though. They do have as a collective six home runs so far this season, but man, you gotta think that there's nowhere for them to go but up. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Brian Reynolds. He's hitting at 300. Kevin Newman has been a little bit cold, though. Colin Moran is able to give you a bit of something. They wind up trading away Josh Bell in the offseason. He's out with the Washington Nationals. And Gregory Polanco is picking up right where he left off from last season. Not being able to get on base. One hit in 17 at-bats. This is absolutely terrible. Jacob Stallings has not been able to give you a whole lot of something that Dustin Feller out there in the outfield. It's been okay, but then you take a look at the bullpens of these two teams. Craig Kimbrell wound up getting used up yesterday, so you gotta think that guys like Dan Winkler are gonna be coming out of the bullpen. Probably Andrew Jaffin, Dylan Maples, and then when you see what the Pirates have going on, Sam Howard probably gonna be available in this one. Kyle Crick is someone that you're able to rely upon. Luis Oviedo is actually a relatively solid bullpen arm, and Dwayne Underwood Jr. might be facing off with his old team as well, so I think that that's going to be a very intriguing part of this. When I take a look at this total, I wound up setting it personally at 9.2. I do think that both of these teams are going to be able to get online. I think that Anderson is going to have a little bit of a rough time. And for the Cubs, I noticed this last year. They were one of the top offenses in all of baseball when it came to the road. Meanwhile, when they were at Wrigley Field, they couldn't hit worth a lick. I think that we might be seeing that same come through here. And with Jake Arrieta, I want to make him a minus 154 favorite. I do think that he's going to be able to find something here with the Cubs. And with the Cubs, they use up a lot of their trustworthy bullpen arms, so that's going to be a little bit of a situation there, but I'm going to wind up taking the money line here of the Cubs, lay a little bit of something, and take this total over. 905-906 on the banging board. You've got the Arizona Diamondbacks hitting the red face off against Colorado Rockies. 50 plus shades of John Gray is going to be going for the Colorado Rockies. Meanwhile, Merrill Kelly is on the bump for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks are finding themselves anywhere between even money and plus 103. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Colorado Rockies, you're going to be finding them anywhere between a minus 108 to minus 118 favorite. And your total on this game is ranging between 11.5 and 12. On the 11.5, your over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Meanwhile, the under is finding itself anywhere between minus 105 and minus 112. On the 12, you're finding that over anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. Meanwhile, the under any board being minus 110 and minus 115. With this one, I made the Diamondbacks a very slight underdog of plus 106. We have seen a little bit of movement. This opened up with the Diamondbacks. Anywhere between plus 105 and plus 106-ish, I wound up jumping on the Arizona Diamondbacks right away just because I don't think that the Rockies are going to be able to get in my range, so I wound up taking exactly what I wound up listing this at, plus 106 at the Westgate. So I'm going to be all aboard the Arizona Diamondbacks because I actually do like what I'm seeing out of Merrill Cully. Last season was limited to just four starts, but he was able to go five plus settings at every one of them. A little bit of a rough go of it to begin the season. He winds up giving up three runs and four innings against the Padres, but keep in mind that is the Padres. Meanwhile, you got a guy in John Gray who I think is going to be improved as well. By the way, 55 shades of John Gray for his jersey number. First start of the year was actually very solid against the Dodgers. Winds up giving up just one run over the course of five innings. Did wind up leaving with a little bit of an injury. It looks like he's going to be fine, but you do have a little bit of trepidation there. During the 2019 season, he was absolutely terrific with a 384 ERA. Was able to do a good job at home. Last season, was a no good, very bad, terrible year with a 6.69 ERA. And you take a look at both of these teams. They were able to get some offense generated on Tuesday because, well, the game wound up going to a whole bunch of extra innings. It was going to be an under, and then, well, you wound up having a whole bunch of home runs as Ryan McMahon has been able to find it for this team. He had three home runs a couple nights ago. That's something that you do like to see for this team. You've also got a pair of guys that are going to be able to find it, in my opinion. Trevor Story, Charlie Blackman, both of these guys entered into yesterday, hitting below a 230, and CJ Crone hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. You got to feel like that's going to pick it up and with the Arizona Diamondbacks. You've really got one guy that's bashing. Quetel Marte, the Marte Parte, has been able to do an absolutely terrific job for this team. Hitting above a 500 going into yesterday. Azurba Cabrera has been able to give this team some solid at-bats as well, along with Carson Kelly, but take a look at Eduardo Escobar. It's not been going well for him. Christian Walker, whenever he's been out there, he's not been able to give you a whole heck of a lot of something. They're looking to a little bit of a younger outfielder in Pavin Smith. It's been a tough go of it for him this year as well. And for the Rockies, I do feel like they've got a little bit more of a trustworthy 
for the bullpen in this one. Guys like Carlos Estevez, Michael Givens, even Chichi Gonzalez in a couple innings, they're able to do a solid job. And for the years in the Diamondbacks, I will say Kevin Ginkle is someone that has been able to give you some good innings. Yohan Lopez is someone that is able to hold down the fort as well. And then you've got Alex Young, who has been used as a reliever. He's been able to give the team a bit of something, but I do think that the Diamondbacks probably have the best individual hitter in this game in Cattell Marte. Both of these teams have been having a little bit of a rough time with their offense, so I wound up saying this total at 10.9. I do like the under end. Like I said, with the Diamondbacks, wound up taking a very small plus price with them. So I'm going to be taking the Diamondbacks in this spot, and I'm going to be taking this total under. 907-908 down the bang board. You got the St. Louis Cardinals, and they're going to be playing us to the Milwaukee Brewers. Corbin Burns is going to be going for the Brewers. Meanwhile, Adam Wainwright on the bump for the St. Louis Cardinals. Cardinals are finding themselves as a bit of a home underdog in this spot. If you're looking at the Cardinals, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 115 and plus 121. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Brew Crew, anywhere between minus 126 and minus 140. With the Brewers, you do want to note that both Devin Williams and Josh Hader wound up getting used up yesterday. So that's going to take a little bit of a value away from their bullpen. And I can tell you, outside of those two guys, the bullpen is not necessarily too terrific. You're going to be relying upon guys like Drew Rasmussen. i got to think that they're probably going to be using someone like an Eric Yardley if they need to as well. Josh Lindblom is able to give the team a couple innings, but that is going to leave them a little bit gutted. And then you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. Great start from Jack Flaherty yesterday, so that means that they're going to be in position with guys like Ryan Hazley who's able to come in, Andrew Miller, Alex Reyes. So you're in pretty good shape there. And for the Cardinals, what I like for this team is what you've been able to get out of Dylan Carlson. Young guy who's only hitting right around a buck 58, but three home runs this season. Nolan Arenado along Paul Goldschmidt have been able to do a terrific job of being able to set the table and get on base. Both of these guys are hitting above a three iron. Tommy Edmond has been able to do a solid job of that as well. And this is a team that they're drawing quite a few walks. So that is something that you'd like to see. Paul DeYoung has given the team a pair of home runs. His batting average needs to be picking up a little bit though. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, this is a team that is now starting to get Christian Yelich online. He's hitting above a three iron, which you like to see. Travis Shaw has been able to drive in a couple runs, but this is still a bunch of, by and large, they are struggling at the plate. Hitting as a collective a buck 61. Casanero, he's played in five games and he's got zero hits. That is not what you're looking for. Abisail Garcia has went four for 22 to begin the year. Luis Arreyes has been absolutely terrible. Colt Wong has been a hot mess. Jackie Bradley Jr. has a home run to his credit, but he's hitting a 0.63. His on base is a 0.63 as well, so Neither of these offenses getting the job done. And you've got a pair of pitchers that are very different in their own right. Obviously, Adam Wainwright is not a guy that is going to be throwing gas. Wound up having a rough start to begin the year against the Cincinnati Reds. But we are seeing what the Reds are doing right now. you got to think that he's going to be better than giving up six runs and two and two-thirds innings. Meanwhile, you take a look at Corbin Burns. This guy was just absolutely terrific at being able to get punch outs last season. But in his first start of the year this year, winds up giving up one run in six out of third innings against the Minnesota Twins. And unfortunately, he doesn't get get the win in that one because, well, the Brewers couldn't do anything at the plate whatsoever. He won a punching out 11, so both of these pitchers are coming in in good form, but I do like what I'm seeing out of Corbin Burns a little bit more. I want to saying the Brewers personally as a minus 128 favorite. We're seeing at circa a minus 126. I'm going to take a shot here on the Brewers offense even though it is not necessarily terrific, but I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. I think that the Brewers are going to be able to get enough bullpen pitching and Burns is going to be able to hold it down from 6 plus to be able to get it done, and I I did wind up setting this total at 7.1. Got a pair of struggling offenses, especially with the Milwaukee Brewers, and you've got an unjuice 7.5 out there with regards to the under. So we're going to be taking that under, and I'm going to be landing here with the Milwaukee Brewers. 909-910 on the betting board is my New York Post play of the day between the Boston Red Sox with the road to face off against the Baltimore Orioles. Matt Harvey is going to be going for the Orioles. Meanwhile, Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be going for the Boston Red Sox. Red Sox are a sizable favorite here. Anywhere between minus 162 and minus 180. Meanwhile, your plus price here with Baltimore is anywhere between plus 149 and plus 155. Your total sign and F. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The offers anywhere between even a minus 105. I'll tell you right now, New York Post play today is not a side, rather the total. I'm going to be taking it over with Matt Harvey. Actually looked halfway decent in his first start of the season against this very same Red Sox team. Four and two-thirds innings, he gives up two runs. First time since 2019 in which he went more 
more than three innings in his start, and during the entire 2020 season, gave up over 20 hits and four and a half home runs per nine innings. I think that the bad Matt Harvey is going to be showing up here after the Boston Red Sox wound up lighting up the Tampa Bay Rays in that series. They were really able to get things going. A combined 26 runs in that series. J.D. Martinez has been able to do a nice job. He is now hitting a 440. Sandra Bogarts hitting at 375. This team looked a little bit anemic to start the year. Rafael Devers got off to a rough start. He's starting to pick it up. Hunter Renfro is so useless for this team. Marwan Gonzalez, I've never understood why he's gotten so much clout. And Bobby Dahlbeck needs to pick it up a little bit more as well. But you've got a Red Sox team that I think is going to be able to shine through. And with the Red Sox, this is a team that they get a bunch of extra bases. They themselves, with regards to their bullpen, they allow opponents to hit right around a 260. So that is something that they need to work on. And for the Baltimore Orioles, it's been a little bit of a rough ride to begin the year for this offense. But Cedric Mullins had a 5-for-5 game in the team's last series. Trey Boom Boom Mancini along with Mikel Franco and Ryan Moncastle towards the middle of the lineup. These guys are all able to hit. You wind up having a Orioles team that entered into yesterday with just one home run. That's going to turn around a guy like Anthony Santander, Freddie Galvis. These guys are going to be able to give you a little bit of pop when it comes to the Orioles as well. This is a team that they've been able to do a solid job of being able to draw some walks. And for Eduardo Rodriguez, he missed the entire 2020 season, but during the 2019 season, certainly put up some very good numbers. A 19-7 and record. He wound up posting up an ERA that was hovering right around at 3.86, so you do like what a year we're seeing there, but he did issue 75 walks that season that wound up leading the league, so you do have a little bit of trepidation there. He is a guy that he is going to be giving up a little bit of contact, 1.33 whip during that season, so you do have a little bit of a fear that in his first start coming back that he is not necessarily going to be able to go as deep. He winds up issuing the walks. He gets knocked out early, and then for the Boston Red Sox, bullpen is not great. Matt Barnes, Austin Bryce, you've got someone like a Horakasu Samarua. Hopefully I'm saying that one correctly. Garrett Whitlock, the list goes on and on of guys that are not necessarily the world's greatest. Meanwhile, for the Baltimore Orioles, you do have a couple guys that you're able to rely upon. Someone like Container Scott is relatively solid. Cesar Valdez, Adam Plutko has been able to make himself as a good relief guy that they wound up using a couple of days ago. Paul Fry, the list goes on and on, but I just have a feeling that Matt Harvey's going to get chilled. He's probably going to be out within the first three innings and that the Boston Red Sox are going to be able to take it to him while they themselves give up quite a few runs. I wound up saying this total at 10.6, which is why the New York Post play of the day is the over. And with the Red Sox on the money line, I wound up making them a 172 favorite, minus 172. And when you take a look at the run line, I am seeing them at even money in a couple spots. I was willing to lay up to minus 108 here. So I'm going to take the even money run line here of the Boston Red Sox and the New York Post play today. This total over. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. You've got the Seattle Mariners in the road to face off against the Minnesota Twins. Jose Barrios is going to be going for the Minnesota Twins. Marco Gonzalez is going to be going for the Seattle Mariners. Mariners are finding themselves a sizable underdog here. Anywhere between plus 160 and plus 167. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Twins, you're finding them anywhere between minus 180 and minus 190. Total on this game is 8. With the under is just of minus 110 to minus 115. Over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. With the Seattle Mariners, you should be able to get a little bit more out of Marco Gonzalez than we wound up seeing in his first start of the season. He wound up issuing 7 walks last season and his walks per 9 was like 1. It was absolutely insane. And then he comes out against the Giants in a game in which the Seattle Mariners were able to win, but he did not look like himself. Gives up five runs over the course of six innings. Walks three. Gives up three home runs. I expect him to be better in this one. And for Minnesota, and the weather there is significantly hotter than it typically is, but it is April. It is out there in Minnesota, so that is going to help out the pitchers a little bit more. And when you take a look at the Twins, this is a team that they're hitting as a collective about a 260 right now, but they're doing a great job of being able to draw walks as well, which is something I like. Ore Palonco Miguel Sano, J.K. have not necessarily been able to hit, but Nelson Cruz is on a terroristic run right now. Already has three home runs. Byron Buxton has three home runs as well. That has been terrific. Max Kepler has been able to drive in quite a few guys. You gotta love what he's able to bring to the table. And for the Seattle Mariners, this is a bunch that they are going to need to travel, so it's going to take a little bit out of them, but Mitch Hanniger being back is very good for the team. Kyle Seager has been not necessarily hitting for a bunch of power, but he's been able to get on base relatively solidly for this team as the Mariners. They're hitting just a buck 93, but a 303 on base so they're finding ways to be able to get on base, which is going to be something very solid. But we know this with Mr. Barrios as well. This is a man that throughout his career, he's always been relatively lights out at home. On the road, it's been a bit of a different situation. You take a look at it last season. He had a 338 ERA at home. He did wind up allowing four home runs over the course of 32 innings. So does a good job of keeping the ball in the yard. Opponents hit just a buck 83 off of him when he was in Minnesota. And you even take a look two years ago. Opponents wound up only being able to muster about a home run per nine innings 
things off of him as well. So I do think that that's something that you take a look at when it comes to this total, which I want him setting at seven. I do think that with this being out there in Minnesota, a very pitcher-friendly ballpark, that we're going to see a little bit of a lower scoring game. And with the Mariners, I do think that there's a value here on Marco Gonzalez. I expect him to be able to give a little bit of a better effort. Now, with both of these bullpens, you do have a little bit of a parallel because the Minnesota Twins, they have been able to get quite a bit out of a guy like Cody Sashek. I do like the fact that you wind up bringing in someone like a Brandon Waddell. He should be able to give this team a little bit of something. Ryan D. Dobnik is not found in the bullpen to say the least, but Alex Colome was able to give the team two solid innings yesterday. And then you take a look at the Seattle Mariners. Anthony Minchevich, not going to be available in this one, but he's been able to do a good job. You've got to think that they're probably going to be looking at Keenan Middleton, even a guy like a Nick Maragavicious if they need a couple innings as well. And I do like what you've been able to get out of Casey Sadler along Drew's second rider as well. So I do see some value here with the Mariners. Anything above plus 155 is a take, seeing mostly plus 160-ish. So we're going to take the plus price here with the Seattle Mariners and this total under. 913-914 on the bang board. The Kansas City Royals hit the road face off against the Chicago White Sox. Lance Lynn is going to be going for the White Sox. Brad Thunderkeller is going to be on the bump for the Royals. Your total on this game is 9 over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. If you're looking at the White Sox, find them anywhere between minus 159 and minus 170 favorite. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Royals, anywhere between plus 146 and plus 155 with the Royals. It was a very rough ride to begin the year for Brad Keller. Typically a guy that does significantly better at home than on the road. Last season had a 0.27 ERA at home. He's now got a 40.50 ERA at home as in his first start. He winds up taking on the Rangers in one and a third innings. just gets completely lit up in that one, giving up nine hits in the process. Meanwhile for Lance Lynn, he looked very solid in his first start of the season. Evaded a little bit of danger. Four and two-thirds innings. He did give up six hits and two walks, but did not allow a run against the LA Angels, so that's something that you do like for the White Sox. They did use up a little bit of their bullpen against the Seattle Mariners. You gotta think that Matt Foster is gonna be out the full, but Garrett Crochet should be able to go in this one. Liam Hendricks, Cody Hero, so you've got quite a few guys you're able to look to there. And for the Kansas City Royals, this is a team that I actually do like their bullpen as well. You wind up using Jesse Hahn yesterday, but you gotta think that Josh Samount is gonna be someone that is gonna be available for use. Wade Davis as well, so you've got quite a few trustworthy arms there. And for the Kansas City Royals, this is an offense that has been able to launch itself whenever they are not facing off against the Cleveland Indians. You've got Whit Merrifield hitting a 400. He's been able to supply some home runs. Carlos Santana along Salvador Perez and Andrew Benatendi. Not necessarily great when it comes to batting average, but for Santana and Perez, 348 on base percentages, so they've been solid. And Nicky Lopez and Michael Taylor at the bottom of the lineup, they've been able to hit it as well. Then you take a look at the Chicago White Sox. You've got Yerdeman Mercedes, who's hitting above a 500. It's absolutely ridiculous. Jose Abreu has been able to hit a pair of home runs for this team. The White Sox in general, hitting right around 250 as a collective, 343 on base, so they've been able to do a nice job there. They do a very good job of being able to hit lefties as well. So this being a righty matchup doesn't necessarily favor them. When I take a look at this one, I felt like I needed to get plus 152 in order to take a shot on the Royals. I'm currently seeing a plus 155 out there, so that'll do it for me. You gotta expect that a little bit of money is gonna continue to trickle in on the White Sox. I do recognize that Brad Keller, not necessarily as good on the road as he is at home, but I do think that he's gonna be able to hold up at the point of attack. I want up setting this total at 8.2. So seeing the unjuiced nines that we're seeing right around minus 105, minus 110-ish, that is going to be very appealing to me. I think that this is set a little bit too high. I think that both of these pitchers are going to be able to do a relatively solid job. So going to be taking the plus price here with the Royals, and I'm going to be taking this total over as well. 915, 916 on the betting board. You've got yourself the LA Angels, and they're going to be on the road taking on the Toronto Blue Jays. Ross Stripling is going to be going for the Jays. Meanwhile, Griffin Canning is going to be going for the Angels. Halos are finding themselves a very slight underdog. Anywhere between minus 101 and plus 102. Seeing a minus 110 out there as well where the juice is at minus 110 on both sides. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Blue Jays, find them anywhere between minus 109 and minus 115. Your total on this game ranging between 10 to 10 and a half on the 10. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even a minus 105. Under 10 and a half. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. With Ross Stripling, it has been a rough ride from the last couple years, but keep in mind that this is someone that was an all-star a few years ago. Now, we were talking with Andrew Cayley about this a little bit earlier. The fact that this game is going to be played out there at Dundon, Florida. That is at TD Ballpark. This is a little bit more of a friendly ballpark, especially if you wind up having the bats that the Toronto Blue Jays have, as you've got Vlad Guerrero Jr. is able to hit the ball of the yard. Marcus Simeon has been able to do an absolutely terrific job for this team. He's already got three home runs for this team. Kevon Biggio, another guy that bats left-handed that should be able to take advantage of this yard as well. Teos Hernandez has been able to do a nice job as well. He's a nice righty 
that I think he's going to be able to do some solid work as well. And then when you take a look at the Angels, you've got mostly right-handed bats with this team. Shoy Otani is a guy that hits left-handed, but he's been able to do a nice job. Jose Iglesias, David Fletcher do a nice job of being able to get on base. Not necessarily power with those guys, but Mike Trout now has a pair of home runs. Anthony Rendon, he's been off to a little bit of a rough start to begin the year, but his on-base has been solid. And then when you take a look at the Angels, bullpen has not necessarily been too terrific. No offense or buts about it. I have no faith whatsoever that you're going to be able to get a solid performance whenever Rossi Iglesias is out there, but Mike Myers has been able to give you a bit of something. Aaron Slager, Tony Watson, they're able to provide some innings. And for Griffin Canning, I do think that he's going to be able to have a relatively solid season. 2-3 record last season, but a 399 ERA. Gave up 8 home runs at 56 out of 3rd innings. Walks have always been the bugaboo for him. He wound up issuing 23 walks of 56 and a 3rd innings, but had 2 walks or fewer in 4 out of his last 5 starts. So, he was able to do a good job of being able to hone it in. Has great raw stuff as a 24-year-old. Meanwhile, with Stripling, 810 ERA. Last season, he's someone that wound up getting just absolutely tattooed for home runs. Over 2 home runs, give it up in a per 9-inning basis. And he wound up having an ERA that was hovering right around 6-ish, so that's not necessarily what you want to see there. But for the Blue Jays, they actually do counter with a very good bullpen of their own. Rafael Dolis wound up getting used up yesterday, but you still have Tim Maza. You still have someone like a David Phelps that you're able to look to. Jordan Romano, whenever you've been able to need him, he's been able to come up with a little bit of something. And I do think that this is a game in which it is going to be a tad bit lower scoring. I think that this is maybe a little bit too much of an overreaction. I would have been willing to take a 9.5 over. Now that we're seeing anywhere between 10 and 10.5, it's gotten up a little bit too lofty for me. So I am going to wind up taking this total under. And I felt like the Angels should have been a very slight favorite of minus 1 or 2, seeing them right around even money. And we're actually seeing a couple plus prices pop up there as well. That's appealing. So I'm going to be taking the Angels with a little bit of a plus price, and I'm going to be taking this total under. And we're going to wrap things up with 967, 968 on the bang board. The Houston Astros are going to be taking on the Oakland A's. Cole Irvin is going to be going for the Athletics. Meanwhile, Christian Avier is going to be going for the Astros. Your total on this game is ranging anywhere between 9.5 and 10. I'm the 9.5. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. On the 10. Under is minus 120. The over is even. If you're looking at the Astros, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 157 and minus 165. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the A's is anywhere between plus 144 and plus 150. This is a situation in which I am probably going to wind up taking a look at the Oakland A's with a plus price. This is one that actually opened up at a lot of places a little bit north of 150 as well. So this is something in which I do think that there is some value here with the Oakland A's. Christian Javier has been a solid pitcher for the Houston Astros the last couple years. And you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Cole Irvin. His first start of the year was not terrific. Gave up four runs over the course of four and a third innings. But I do think that the A's, which they did wind up getting their bullpen used a little bit much yesterday because they did wind up going to extra innings. But I think that it's going to be solid. A.J. Puck is someone that's able to come in, give you a couple of good innings when needed. Jordan Weems, J.B. Wendelken, Lou Trevino wound up getting used yesterday. These guys have been pretty solid throughout their careers. Meanwhile, for the Houston Astros, they have been able to do a good job of being able to put bats to ball. Jordan Alvarez hitting a little bit above a 300. Power seems to be back with them. You've got Kyle Tucker, who's had a trio of home runs for this team. Alex Bregman typically gets off to cold starts, but he and Yoli Gurriel, along with Jose Altuve, all doing a great job of being able to get on base. 371 on base for the Houston Astros so far this season, but for the Oakland A's, this is a team that they don't necessarily get righties the same way that they do lefties, but they do have quite a few guys that you got to feel like are going to be able to emerge. Just two home runs so far this season. That's very unlike them. Elvis Andrews, one of 24. You know that that's going to turn itself around. Jed Lowry, Mitch Moreland, along with Mark Canna. These guys have not necessarily been too terrific, although I will say the 222 of Mr. Canna has actually been terrific, but Ramon Laureano hitting a 313. That is something that you do like. The A's are hitting just a buck 69, but you take a look at this Houston Astros bullpen. Guy like a Brooks Raley has been okay. Inoli Paredes is someone that I do like coming out of the bullpen as well, but with Javier, if you're looking for a little bit of a bugaboo with this guy during the 2020 season, he did wind up having a couple of trials and tribulations when it came to giving up the long ball, so I do think that that is something that might wind up rearing its ugly head. I think that the Oakland A's are going to be able to hit some shots in this one, and I do think that they're going to be able to get the job done in what I think is going to be a game that is going to be a tad bit lower scoring than they're thinking. I wound up saying this total at 9.4, so seeing the unjuice sign in S or the 10s with juice, I'm going to be taking these under and I'm going to be taking the plus price here with the Oakland A's and that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this wonderful Thursday. A big thanks to Andrew Cayley of Covers for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. One of two ways to be able to fire questions if you have
about them for this podcast. My Twitter timeline at JerryScorty1. Keep in mind those letters VM to me mean does not matter. Otherwise, I had an Apple podcast view. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send in your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you from there. Always appreciate it. I will talk to you guys once again tomorrow. It's going to be a great year of baseball. Hopefully, you're enjoying it as much as I am. Thank you so much. <laughs>